MSW Media. Thanks to Fast Growing Trees for supporting the podcast. Fast Growing Trees plant experts curate thousands of easy to grow plant, shrub, and tree varieties for your unique climate. Meyer lemons to evergreens and everything in between. Go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash dailybeans now to get 15% off your entire order. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, September 27th, 2023. Today, a judge has found Donald Trump and his sons guilty of fraud and has ordered the Trump Organization LLC dissolved. Hunter Biden has filed a lawsuit against Rudy Giuliani and Robert Costello. DA Fonnie Willis has filed an opposition to Meadows' removal motion appeal in the 11th Circuit. The Supreme Court denies the Alabama GOP's bid to use their old racist district maps. The Department of Justice is investigating Tyson and Purdue for child labor violations. Multiple Democratic senators have called for Bob Menendez to resign. A judge has ruled that the Texas drag ban is unconstitutional and has issued a permanent injunction barring it. The FTC has filed suit against Amazon for being a monopoly. Trump administration officials have been ordered to testify on family separations. And Cassidy Hutchinson is interviewed by Rachel Maddow. And President Joe Biden joined the United Auto Workers picket line as the first president ever to do so. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana, welcome back. I missed you. Thank you so much. I missed you, too. Uh, Thanks for covering me. I was in St. Louis and then Dallas, Texas, and now I'm back. I'll be in Minnesota next Saturday. Um, So gala gala season, actually all year is gala season. So I don't think I'll be missing anything uh, next Sunday. We'll figure it out. But, uh, you know, doing (laughs) the Lord's work, raising some money, fighting the good fight. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. We appreciate you. Well, holy hell, everybody pop the champagne. Or the sparkling apple cider. Oh, yeah. Whatever you do, because it's a great day for justice. We have a ton of good news today. Plus, later in the show, I get to speak with special advisor to President Biden and spokesman for the White House, Ian Sams. That's going to be a really great conversation. But first, before we get to the hot notes, it's time for some quick hits. I can make a long story short. Too late. All right. Rachel Maddow, the master, interviewed Cassidy Hutchinson last night about her new book that's out this week called Enough. Rachel took pages and pages of notes. This is why I love her. Research is impeccable. She didn't push back on some things I would have liked her to push back on. But I mean, there was so much in this interview. Here are just some of the stories that are revealed in the book uh, that I learned about last night after I watched the interview. First of all, Trump was the worst person to lead the U.S. through COVID. Could have told you that. Cassidy Hutchinson wrote that he had a restless and impulsive personality and that his attention span was not up to the average meeting. (laughs) He was often wandering eyes and looking around and getting bored. January 6th was at minimum a shocking dereliction of duty, according to Hutchinson. Meadows burned so many documents he smelled like a campfire. That was something we learned. (laughs) Um, Six times she was sexually harassed or assaulted by Trump or his allies, including twice by Matt Gaetz. And that story is... Yeah. (sighs) She didn't reveal anything that's not a matter of public record and or part of the public record story and she wouldn't comment on her cooperation with Fonnie Willis or Jack Smith and that's understandable uh, but I, I encourage everybody to check out the interview wherever you get your podcasts if you want to get the book it's called Enough it's out now by Cassidy Hutchinson I thought that interview was really well done so hats off to Rachel and this is someone who I actually would support and buy a book 
because she's done, listen, maybe it took a minute. She's done everything she can to help save our democracy. So, you know, I'm, I'm in support of that. Okay. This one is mine. Joe Biden joined the United Auto Workers picket line today. He's the first president in history to do so, by the way. This comes amid the UAW filing a complaint against Republican Tim Scott for suggesting they all be fired. Yeah, that was smart. Also, multiple Democratic senators, including Cory Booker from New Jersey, plus Nancy Pelosi, uh, Speaker Emerita, have now called for the resignation of Bob Menendez following his indictments for bribery and corruption. I imagine more will follow. Uh, I don't think he's going to be around for much longer. So we'll see. All right. And a Reagan appointed judge, so they've been there for a bit, but a Reagan appointed judge has ruled the Texas drag ban is unconstitutional and has issued a permanent injunction blocking it going forward. It's a beautiful thing. And I love to see it. I'm here for it. Yeah, me too. And uh, as I've said from the beginning, all of these are going to go down as being unconstitutional, but that's not the point, And it never was. The cruelty is the point. Absolutely. Right. Also, the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, and 17 state attorneys general filed a sweeping antitrust lawsuit against Amazon today, alleging that the company abused its powers to squeeze merchants and thwart rivals, resulting in higher prices and lower quality goods for the tens of millions of American households who regularly shop at the company's online superstore. So this is a landmark case. Thank you, AG. And the Supreme Court has denied Alabama's emergency applications to allow it to use a congressional district map with only a single majority minority district. Uh, The court refuses to state district court rulings that ordered new maps. And by the way, those old maps are incredibly racist. Yep. 25% black population, one out of seven districts. They now have to have two. Those new maps are in. The Supreme Court, we thought because of the dark money ties with Kavanaugh, might reconsider, but they did not. And there were no public dissents. Also, D.A. Fonnie Willis has filed her opposition to Mark Meadows' appeal to the 11th Circuit to move his case to federal court. That will not be in today's episode of Clean Up on Aisle 45 because we recorded it before this motion was filed. But we did get to speak with Anna Bauer for today's episode, and we will discuss this new filing on next week's episode. So thank you for listening to Clean Up on Aisle 45. All right. We have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. This is huge. This is big. And I had to reread the order like 76 times. And I'm still like, am I sure that this is what the order says? And I'm pretty sure a judge has ruled Donald Trump, Don Jr., Eric Trump, Alan Weisselberg, and a guy named McConnie are no longer allowed to operate their businesses in New York. And the judge has ordered the Trump organization to be dissolved, along with all those other LLCs. Now, Donald Trump, and his company repeatedly violated state fraud law. That's a New York judge ruling on Tuesday. It's Judge Engeron. The ruling came in response to a request by New York Attorney General Letitia James seeking judgment, summary judgment, on one of the claims in her $250 million civil lawsuit, which is scheduled to go to trial October 2nd. Judge Arthur Engeron agreed in his ruling with James's office that it's beyond dispute that Trump and his company provided banks with financial statements that misrepresented his wealth by as much as $3.6 billion. Quote, the documents here clearly contain fraudulent valuations that defendants used in business. That's what he wrote in his ruling, in which he ordered the defendant's New York business certificates to be canceled. He ordered that within 10 days, they must recommend potential independent receivers to manage the dissolution of those canceled LLCs. This is the death penalty for the Trump organization. James's office sued Donald Trump, his sons, Don Jr. and Eric, and the Trump organization, and Ivanka, but she petitioned to be removed and successfully petitioned to be removed from the lawsuit like last year. But they sued in 2022, claiming they committed extensive fraud over more than a decade while seeking loans from banks. 
In addition to the $250 million, her office is seeking several sanctions that would severely hamper the company's ability to do business in New York. Both sides sought summary judgments from Engeron. James's office asked for the ruling delivered Tuesday, saying it would streamline the trial if Engeron found certain facts were beyond dispute that Trump and the company issued false business records and false financial statements. This is a lot like the summary judgment Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss got against Rudy Giuliani. They don't have to prove that he defamed. They just have to go to trial to see how much he owes them. It's also like the E. Jean lawsuit, the second mm-hmm. one, which is yep. really the first one, where the judge was like, we've already determined that you defamed E. Jean. So now we just have to go to trial to figure out how much you owe her. And kind of like the Fox lawsuit, right, where they determined falsity. They determined ahead of time summary judgment in part that Fox News defamed Dominion. And so they just had to kind of figure out some of the other things, actual malice, I think they had to prove. And then they just determined the damages, which ended up being like $780 million. Donald Trump and his company repeatedly violated state fraud law. And um, it, this is just absolutely a stunning ruling. Now, Trump's legal team asked Engeron to toss the case out. Now, they argued that many of the loans in question occurred too long ago to be considered part of the case. But Engeron ruled that that motion is denied. The upcoming trial now focuses on other allegations in the lawsuit related to falsification of business records, issuing false financial statements, insurance fraud, and conspiracy. Engeron also ruled today on a separate motion by the New York Attorney General seeking sanctions against Trump's legal team for repeatedly making arguments Engeron and other courts had already rejected. James's office asked the judge to impose a fine of 20000 He imposed a fine of 37500 Each attorney has to pay $7,500. <laughs> so that's awesome. <laughs> I like this couldn't have gone. Uh, the only other thing would be like if all the counts were given summary judgment, but the New York attorney general didn't ask for that. So this is amazing. It really is. It's he's 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 guilty of so much shit. It's it's sort of unbelievable at this point. All right, AG, this is from The Washington Post. A federal magistrate judge in California has ordered a pair of top Trump administration officials to testify in a 2021 lawsuit that migrant parents and children filed against the U.S. government for separating them at the southern border. This is a big deal, too. Magistrate Judge Candace Westmore on Monday told the Department of Justice and lawyers for migrant families to meet immediately to schedule the depositions of, of former Homeland Security Secretary Christian Nelson and ex-attorney general Jeff Sessions. He's going to have to come down from that tree and stop making cookies to testify. (laughs) (laughs) Lawyers said the depositions would mark the first time the former officials have been ordered to testify in one of dozens of lawsuits filed against the federal government seeking millions of dollars in damages for allegedly intentionally inflicting emotional distress on migrant families. And they did. In her decision, Westmore wrote that lawyers representing three families in the California case may depose the former officials because they allege that the agency acted in bad faith to separate undocumented immigrants from their minor children. Sessions and Nielsen also have, and I quote, unique personal knowledge of their own intent in making the zero tolerance policy. The judge also criticized the Justice Department, which represents the government in court for initially saying dozens of people were involved in creating the policy and signaling that Sessions and Nielsen's testimony was unnecessary. Well, then in September, the judge said the government reversed course to say that only Sessions and Nielsen could have known the policy's goals. Westmore wrote that she was disappointed by the reversal and the government's opposition to the depositions. And this is a quote, such an injustice cannot stand. 
So I love to see that this is going forward. People are starting to be held accountable for shit that happened during the Trump administration that we knew were horrible policy, horrible, inhumane. Out of his trees and quit making cookies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, racist Keebler elf. All right. Next up from Politico, Hunter Biden. He's got another lawsuit. On Tuesday, he sued Rudy Giuliani and his lawyer, Robert Costello. And by the way, Robert Costello is suing Rudy Giuliani for unpaid legal bills. <laughs> Who's going to represent Rudy this time? <laughs> like, I remember Rudy going on some show recently, but I'm going to sue you. I'm going to sue you. I'm like, yeah, you and what lawyer? Like, no, nobody's going to represent you, bro. So the lawsuit alleges that they violated federal and California-based computer fraud laws in their efforts to disseminate potentially damaging material on Hunter Biden. Biden, as we know, son of the president, thanks for adding that, uh, Politico, says Giuliani and Costello broke the law when they accessed data they claim came from a laptop sent to them by computer repairman Mac Isaac in Delaware in 2020. Biden does not concede that claim is true, but he alleges that he is the owner of some of the electronic data obtained by the repairmen and alleges that Giuliani and Costello's repeated copying and accessing of the data amounts to an illegal hacking campaign that persists to this day. Quote, in light of the foregoing illegal activities by defendants, their refusals to cease and desist in their unlawful behavior and their apparent intention to continue violating the law in the future, plaintiff has no alternative but to commence this lawsuit. That's what Hunter Biden's attorneys wrote in the lawsuit filed Tuesday in federal court in Los Angeles, where where the first son lives. It's Biden's latest lawsuit against those he accused of perpetrating an illegal campaign to disseminate materials taken from a laptop he purportedly abandoned at a Delaware repair shop. We know earlier this month he sued former Donald Trump White House aide Garrett Ziegler on the similar allegations. He also recently sued the IRS over allegations two agents violated privacy laws by sharing his personal tax information. Now, Giuliani and his allies have long argued that the purported laptop was fair game because it was allegedly abandoned. But at the heart of the lawsuit is the argument that regardless of where any piece of computer hardware was located, Hunter Biden's data still belongs to him and him alone. A member of his legal team granted anonymity to discuss his newly aggressive legal strategy put it this way. If you take your coat up to the dry cleaner and leave your wallet in it and you forget to pick it up, it doesn't mean the dry cleaner gets the wallet and all your money. It's just common sense. (laughs) The member of his legal team hinted that more litigation could follow. He might sue some other people. Quote, everyone involved in stealing and manipulating Hunter's data could be hearing and should be hearing footsteps right about now. Huh. Interesting. Who else besides Rudy and Ziegler and maybe Tonzig and DeGeneva? Ah, I just want to fire up the Fantasy Indictment League again. Now, Robert Costello did not respond to requests for comment. Throughout the lawsuit, Biden seeks to cast doubt on the authenticity of the purported contents of the laptop, emphasizing that Giuliani and Costello have only claimed to have received a hard drive containing the contents of the laptop uh, accessed by the Delaware repair person. Quote, Biden's data was manipulated, altered and damaged before it was copied and sent to the defendants. And defendants' illegal hacking and tampering has involved further alterations and damages to the data to a degree that is presently unknown. Hmm. The lawsuit also points to numerous public statements by Rudy and Costello in which they describe accessing Biden's data via the hard drive they received. In those statements, they've described scrutinizing thousands of emails and financial records and personal photos. Biden is seeking monetary damages from Rudy. Good luck. And his businesses. Also good luck. And Robert Costello. Well, maybe if he gets $1.4 million from Rudy, he'll have some money. 
<laughs> as well as other unnamed defendants who he says may be added later to the lawsuit. He's also seeking an injunction that would bar Giuliani, Costello, and, and their associates from further accessing Biden's data and returning any other property they obtained from him. Okay, and AG, this is from CBS News. It seems Tyson Foods and Purdue Farms are facing federal investigations into whether migrant children are among those cleaning slaughterhouses owned by two of the nation's biggest poultry producers. The Department of Labor launched its inquiries after a published report detailed migrant kids working overnight for contractors in the company's facilities on the eastern shore of Virginia. Now, a September 18th New York Times magazine story detailed children cleaning blood, grease and feathers from equipment with acid and pressure hoses. And this is a quote. There are currently U.S. Department of Labor wage and hour division investigations open at Purdue and Tyson Foods. No additional details can be provided as the investigations are ongoing. This is a DOL spokesperson. That's what they told CBS Money Watch in an email. Now, a spokesperson for Purdue said the company was appalled by the allegations. I'm sure you are. And this is, again, a quote. We take the legal employment and safety of each individual working in our facilities very seriously and have strict, longstanding policies in place for Purdue associates to prevent minors from working hazardous jobs in violation of the law. Now, the spokesperson told CBS Money Watch in an email, went on to say, we recognize the systemic nature of this issue and embrace any role we can play in a solution. Well, the Times account included details of a 14-year-old boy who was maimed while cleaning a conveyor belt in a deboning area at a Purdue slaughterhouse in rural Virginia. The eighth grader was among thousands of Mexican and Central American children who have crossed the border on their own to work in dangerous jobs. And I quote, Tyson Foods has not been made aware of any investigation and therefore cannot comment. And that's a, a spokesperson for the Springdale, Arkansas-based company. And that's what they stated in an email. Well, the investigations came six months after the Labor Department fined one of the nation's biggest sanitation services providers $1.5 million for employing more than 100 children ages 13 to 17 for overnight shifts at 13 meat processing plants in eight states. Federal law prohibits minors from working in meat processing due to its increased risk of injury. Well, the Labor Department's also investigating the companies supplying the cleaning crews for Purdue and Tyson in Virginia, Fayette Industrial for their former and QSI, which is a unit of the Vincent Group, for the latter. And that's according to the Times. And I quote, the use of illegal child labor, particularly requiring that children undertake dangerous risks, is inexcusable. That's a USDA spokesperson. That's what they stated in an email to CBS Money Watch. The agency's Food Safety and Inspection Service this month began retaining its 7,800 frontline workers to report child workers to the Labor Department. Food inspectors do not have law enforcement capabilities in their work at 6,800 federally regulated facilities across the country. Jeez. Yeah. Well, there's an investigation. Looks like multiple. So hopefully they'll get to the bottom of it. Um, that's unconscionable. All right, everybody. We will be right back with my interview with special advisor to President Biden, Mr. Ian Sams. You don't want to miss it. Stick around. We'll be right back. After the when I was a kid, I lived near an orchard. It was so awesome. I had so much fun playing in the fruit trees. And today as a homeowner, nurturing a green landscape is far from child's play. But thankfully, fastgrowingtrees.com provides the resources and support I need to make it happen. If you're keen on elevating your outdoor space but don't know where to go, fastgrowingtrees.com 
has got you covered. Their team of specialists handpicks plants that are perfect for your specific needs and climate conditions. Say goodbye to wasting time at nurseries and big garden centers. Your chosen greenery arrives at your door within one to two days of ordering online. Looking to add some privacy, maybe some shade or natural charm to your yard or some fruits like we are? We're going to do the guacamole, right? I got the Myers lemons, the limes, and the avocados. Uh, Well, their experts are standing by to offer 24-7 advice on your options and the care of your plants. So you can step into the world of more than a million content consumers and grow with confidence thanks to their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee. I cannot say enough good things about fast-growing trees. I discovered the knockout rose I've been waiting for forever and all without emptying my wallet. I am certain you'll find something you'll love just as much, too. Listeners of this show get 15% off your entire order when you go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash dailybeans, but only through October 15th. That's 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash dailybeans. That's fastgrowingtrees.com slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody, welcome back. So just days before the extreme Republicans are set to shut down the government, potentially leaving 1.3 million active duty service members without pay and millions of women, children and infants without food assistance, Oversight Committee Chair Jim Comer and Judiciary Committee Chair Jim Jordan, the Jims, are going to hold an impeachment inquiry hearing. An impeachment, by the way, opened with zero evidence in an attempt to distract from the alarming consequences of the extreme GOP shutdown. And joining me today to discuss this is White House spokesman for oversight and investigations and special assistant to the president, Ian Sams. Ian, thank you for agreeing to speak with me today. Thanks for having me. This is going to be a a good conversation, I know, because, you know, I've been kind of going back and forth with all of the different impacts, negative impacts on our country that this shutdown will have. And meanwhile, we've got this circus of an impeachment inquiry. And I'm I'm not just saying that in a political way. It's just with the facts and evidence that we have, it's so clear. And Comer has admitted on multiple occasions this this hearing isn't expected to cover any new ground. It's just going to rehash old claims, claims that have been debunked by actual evidence, by the way, time and time again. Are House Republicans just there to obstruct the work of this administration? I mean, what is their goal here? I mean, I think that, uh, you know, there's two goals that are very apparent. Goal number one is inflicting a very extreme right-wing ideology onto the country through extreme cuts to programs that people rely on. You mentioned food assistance uh, across the country to women, children, infants, little babies who need access to nutrition assistance and food. Uh, you know, you talk about the the impact of a government shutdown on troops and, you know, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of our active duty military not being able to get paid, but continuing to do their job in the military despite that. These are the things that their extreme right-wing ideology are inflicting on the country. So that's like priority number one, shut down the government unless we can inflict all this pain on people, hurt the economy, cost thousands of people their jobs. You know, And then the second tier is something almost a little bit more sinister, which is this distraction campaign that they are running uh, via this sort of fake impeachment stunt that they're trying to do to take people's eyes off of the shutdown and the impacts that it has on people's daily lives. And so they want to, you know, use their friends uh, over at Fox News primetime, you know, their friends at Newsmax, their friends in the right wing Internet to make completely unfounded and baseless attacks against President Biden, you know, with the theater and pageantry of a hearing in Congress 
to try to get the media to pay attention to that, to try to get you know their base to pay attention to that, and to try to get the public to pay attention to that instead of the catastrophic consequences of their actions. And you know both of those things taken together show just how sort of out of touch the Republicans in Congress have become, that instead of spending their time or energy focused on anything substantive to help people in their lives. Remember last year when they were running in the midterms? You know, they said they wanted to do inflation. They said they wanted to lower people's <laughs> gas prices and grocery prices. And instead, over the last nine months, they've done right-wing charades, you know, you know, don't let them ban gas stoves. Well, nobody's trying to ban gas stoves. <laughs> or these sort of fishing expedition attacks on President Biden and his family to try to distract people from the fact that they have no agenda to actually help people. And this week is sort of laying that really bare as, you know, they barrel us toward a shutdown here in just a few days. Yeah, and it makes sense they would want to distract from this shutdown, right? Because every time in the past the government has shut down, it's been because of the Republicans. But usually it's because they're demanding something outrageous from the Democrats. Cut school funding, cut WIC, cut child tax credits, give tax breaks to the wealthy. They're demanding something ridiculous, uh, uh, pulling funding from Ukraine. But this time, they can't even pass their own defense bill. The, the fighting is in and amongst themselves. And we have a handful of extreme MAGA Republicans holding families and Americans and national security hostage. What is the main message from the White House about just this this absolute stunt? Well, you see the president talking about this every day and you see us talking about this every day. You know, we're focused on actually trying to ensure that the American people get the help that they need to make sure that these services aren't interrupted, to make sure that they don't have to work without pay, to ensure that there are no furloughs for thousands of federal workers, that there's not a hit to the economy that hurts small businesses and takes jobs out of the marketplace. You know, those are things that we're trying to focus on every day. You know, contrast that with them who every day they're focused on some new, you know, right wing sideshow to try to whip up their own, you know, far right elements to, you know, throw them red meat and sort of distract from the real issues that matter to people. And I think it's like often lost kind of in in the the noise of the day. I mean, as soon as the the House Republicans came back from their long time off over August, uh, also not working on behalf of the American people, you know, the first thing that happened was Marjorie Taylor Greene, who seems to be calling the shots over there these days, <laughs> demanded that there be an impeachment of Joe Biden or else she was going to shut down the government. She made that a condition explicitly of keeping the government funded and avoiding these catastrophic consequences. She made this impeachment a prerequisite. And so Speaker McCarthy said, absolutely, here you go. And guess what? It didn't satiate their appetite. There will always be some new stunt that they are trying to pull to get attention for themselves, frankly, in Fox News and on Newsmax and in this world that they live in, you know, at the expense of what's right for the country and what needs to be done to help people. And so I think that, you know, they, they already sort of made clear that these sort of partisan extreme stunts, you know, things like impeachment of the president when they have absolutely no evidence of anything at all that he did wrong to base it on, that they are all sort of just shiny objects to distract people from their own inability to govern and their own, frankly, dangerous agenda for the American people. Yeah, it just kind of boils down to sort of fame and power for a handful uh, of these folks. 
and it and it really is a detriment to the American people. And, you know, you talk about how the White House is talking about this. I read all the press releases. I talk about this. I know a lot of independent journalists are talking about this. For some reason, the media isn't picking up on what the, you know, the accomplishments of the Biden administration or they don't frame the impeachment inquiry story as, you know, by first saying there's zero evidence. They're actually opening this to find evidence, which is kind of a this is a, a, a running gag with uh, Trump Republicans, like just announce an investigation and I'll take it from there. Uh, you know, the, the shakedown of Zelensky, the shakedown of the Department of Justice after the 2020 election. The whole point is to just say that there's an investigation and we can take it from there and, you know, raise money off of it. But what are your thoughts? Because I read the, the White House memo to the press and, you know, they're focused on what Fetterman is wearing and whether the President Biden is wearing sneakers while he's on a picket line with United Auto Workers, first president in history. They're just focusing on the wrong things. I think there's a lot of disillusionment right now with the way that this horse race is being covered when when we're talking about two completely different things. Can you talk a little bit more about that memo, what you think about the coverage here? Because I think it's doing a disservice to democracy. You know, I think it's hard for the media to grapple with a reality where you know, a governing body of Congress is controlled by people who shamelessly mislead, lie, and make false statements almost as readily as they breathe. And that is a challenging environment for, um, you know, the media to sort of, you know, separate the wheat from the chaff of what's true and not true and present to the American public what they need to hear. And especially in an environment where, uh, you know, so much of Washington politics is covered as sport, horse race, team A versus team B, which is really a disservice to the American people as well. When one of those teams is basing the vast majority of their agenda, especially when it comes to these sort of so-called investigations on, you know, baseless claims that have been debunked for years, you know, it's, it's, they have to grapple with how to, how to cover that. And I think what, what we have said, and I think what you're talking about, you know, we we asked the media after Speaker McCarthy announced this impeachment to actually hold the Republicans in Congress accountable for the false statements that they are predicating this entire impeachment on. You think back, just think back, you know, a decade, a little over a decade to Speaker Boehner, who, you know, imagine if Speaker Boehner had gone out to the podium and said, there are really legitimate questions about President Obama's birth certificate, and we're going to start an impeachment inquiry to look into them. I think that even in that recent era, there would have been much more scrutiny on the fact that this was all made up and kind of, you know, a conspiracy theory that's being used and co-opted to lead to governing actions. And, and now you don't see as much of that because there's a reluctance to hold them accountable for you know, the fact that the all of the things that they are basing this impeachment on have been debunked. I mean, you referenced, you know, four years ago now was the impeachment of the former president. And that entire uh, inquiry centered on allegations about the president and his family and whether the former president had asked President Zelensky to announce an investigation for political purposes. You know, and now fast forward four years and you see the House Republican Conference doing exactly that announcing a baseless and debunked impeachment inquiry simply to score political points or to try to score political points. They've admitted it. They've admitted that this impeachment is not actually going anywhere. It's not going to do anything. It's all about politics and looking ahead to 2024 
know, those are their words. And they've said that. Matt Gates went on TV and said that it's about taking this story to the American people in 2024. You know, that's a real um, alarming erosion of their power. And I think that something that, you know, I think, you know, people like you've talked about and, and the media, I think is maybe starting to think about and how to, how to grapple with this. It exemplifies a broader reality of the House Republicans and, and how they govern that revolves sort of trampling on constitutional norms. When you think about the fact that impeachment is something that's in the Constitution that was enshrined as the sort of punishment of last resorts for high crimes and treason, these sorts of things. And now, you know, House Republicans are trivializing it so much that they're using it not only as a political weapon, but they're admitting that they're using it as a political weapon. And so, you know, it gets to what we've seen over the last several years where sort of, you know, the Constitution only means something if it helps us politically. And that's a really dangerous place, you know, for the country to be in. And, um, you know, I think that the, the House Republicans probably deserve a little bit more scrutiny for uh, their behavior when you think about just how historically aberrant and dangerous it is. Yeah, agreed. And and the Republicans can't find anything new. I mean, they had the whole impeachment defense four years ago. We had Trump and Barr appointed David Weiss looking into the Bidens for five years. We had Durham looking into the origins of the Russia investigation for five years. They weren't able to find anything. I don't know what Jim Comer and Jim Jordan think they're going to be able to find after after all that scrutiny. They they can't find anything because there isn't anything to find. This is a thing that they ding, ding. can't quite understand is when you've spent, you know, 2019 during an impeachment inquiry of the former president, 2020, an entire Senate Republican investigation led by Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson, not to mention the presidential election uh, and all of the things that were done in that campaign regarding this issue. Then the minority of the House ever since they uh, President Biden took office, making this their mission and priority, allies in the right wing media. Then they take over the, the House of Representatives in January and they spend the last nine months with subpoena power getting information. Tens of thousands of documents, you know, you know, hours upon hours upon hours of witnesses, including, you know, Hunter Biden's former business partners. And over and over again, it turns up nothing. And that's because there is nothing. You think that you know, at, at a certain point, the preponderance of evidence showing nothing is in and of itself evidence that there is nothing. And, you know, they don't really care because they see it as a political fishing expedition to try to hurt President Biden and nothing more. And, you know, there will never be anything that will satisfy them because the whole thing is part of a concentrated political strategy to attack him based on nothing. And so, you know, I think that what this is going to lay bare is a real difference in priorities between what one party in Congress is almost singularly focused on, this sort of, you know, political bloodlust against President Biden versus President Biden, who's actually going to keep talking about the things that people care about, whether the media covers it or not. He's going to stay focused on that. He's going to keep talking about health care and jobs and the economy. He's going to keep going to open factories that are opening because of his legislative achievements, the CHIPS bill, the Inflation Reduction Act. He's going to start, keep going to bridge openings that are being paid for by the infrastructure bill that he got done on a bipartisan basis. I mean, these are the things that he's going to keep doing every day, day in and day out, you know, from here into perpetuity to try to continue to communicate to the American people that that's what he's actually focused on. And that's what he does when he governs. You know, who knows what these jokers over in the House do when they govern, but that is absolutely not what he is prioritizing. 
yes, he has proven that democracy works and the Republicans continue to prove that they do not. Uh, and as my friend Molly Jong Fass said, you can't cover an extreme unconventional party using conventional you know, old media ways. And I hope that the media picks up on this soon and starts to run with it. Uh, one last question for you before I let you go. What can the people do, people listening, uh, besides vote? We got that. Vote and bring your family with you and tell everybody about it. Get everybody registered. Thanks, Taylor Swift. What can they do now to, you know, in the next week or so, in the next coming days to help prevent this shutdown from happening? Well, I think on the shutdown, you know, obviously, you know, the House is going to have to act. And so, Everybody has a member of Congress and, you know, people can use their voice to to share what they want to see happen. Um, but, you know, ultimately, this is, you know, a problem within the House Republican conference, as you mentioned, that where they can't even get agreement themselves. I think more broadly, when you think about something like impeachment and, and what they're trying to do here, it's a part of a broader uh, battle uh, of information and the way that the right wing ecosystem has sort of weaponized disinformation, misinformation, you know, I, I, I should even say half truths because it's like less than a quarter truths, you know, <laughs> whatever it is, the smaller version of that where they try to take, you know, small things and have them mean something that they actually don't, you know, that is what that is what the world that we live in has become where there's such a premium on the truth. And I think uh, it's it's harder and harder to get the truth out there. And so I think when you think about, you know, what any of us can do in that environment is to constantly use our platform to try to push out the truth. That's what we're doing when it comes to this impeachment effort. It's what we're doing when it comes to the shutdown effort. You know, when you, when you hear that 7 million women, children, and infants across this country could lose their access to food benefits, they could go to the grocery store and be turned away from being able to get formula and food and things that they need if the government shutdown happens. You know, when we when we talk about the fact that the very conspiracy theories that Republicans are basing their impeachment stunt on, when the very witnesses that the Republicans call the very firsthand people who are involved this weekend, for example, the former president of Ukraine went on Fox News of all places and told them this whole thing is made up. You know, we're going to push those facts out. And I think that, you know, elevating those facts and using the platforms that we all have in our modern information ecosystem to share those facts is the, the best way to fight back against disinformation, smears, a dangerous agenda that really threatens, you know, not only the economy, but a lot of our values and what we hold dear that, that members of Congress on the Republican side are pushing, you know, using our platforms to share the truth uh, with our friends and neighbors and with the public is, is one of the best things that we can do. Awesome. Thank you so much. I will continue to do that, I promise. Uh, and hopefully this huge democratization of voices in, in this ecosystem can help push the legacy media to do the right thing. And, you know, a lot of it is kind of there, but I think we could work a little bit harder on it. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. White House Spokesman for Oversight and Investigations, Special Assistant to President Biden, Ian Sams. It's been wonderful speaking with you. Thanks for having me. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news, everyone. Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, what the mutt, find the cat, 
shout out to a local business, shout out to a loved one, your spouse, your kids, yourself, because you are one of your loved ones. I know you are. A Whoopi story, baby pictures, frog orgies, what the heck wine, where I guess what breed your horse is, because somehow I'm good at that. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> Anything you want to send us, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. First up from Amanda, pronouns she and her. Thank you for all you do. This shit can be terrifying. And being able to laugh about it helps tremendously. Sharing a picture of my two babies, Zeus and Sheba. Zeus. Oh, my gosh. Eight months old. I know. And Sheba is seven months old. You got your hands full, girl. Also, including a picture of my latest Lego set build, which is another way I decompress. Look at the babies. I, this dog's like, yeah. And the other dog's like, huh? Huh? Yeah. Happy? <laughs> huh? 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 So great. Look at this Look Lego, at this Lego build. build. I know. Holy, is that like London? I love it. It's like an Annie M's pretzel. <laughs> yeah, it looks like looks like something out of that movie Hook. Did I just say oh, an Auntie M? Isn't it Annie's pretzels? I don't know. Who's Auntie M's pretzels? <laughs> Auntie M. It's a twister. It's a twister. <laughs> Get it? I'm pretzels? sure Auntie M's got it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, this one's from Chris H. No pronouns given. That. And it's just, it just, this just says it's a baby picture for Dana and it's the cutest little goddamn puppy. Oh my fuck. Look at those toes. I know. Look at the pizza. Thank you for that. Eyes are I'll take closed. this next one. Okay. All right. This is from Anonymous. No pronouns on this one. No prones. You heard me. No pronouns on this one. <laughs> Two things. A big shout out to me. I refuse to give up old school etiquette. I still send handwritten letters and special occasions cards. I love that. I send cards for no reason at all. All of my friends and family love it. I refuse to text happy birthday to someone. It feels too damn impersonal. I still love the personal touch that makes someone's day. Mm. Also, a shout out to the woman who recently mentioned she was working on her master's of library science in middle age. As a fellow librarian, do not be afraid of your age. Many folks change course to become librarians at an advanced age. I was the youngest librarian for years. All of the librarians hired after me were older. There's nothing to be ashamed of. You rock, and your age will be an advantage in answering reference questions. I'm proud of you for moving forward in an age where librarians can be jailed or even fired for censorship, which is fucking crazy, by the way. That isn't a, that's like a real sentence in 2023, mm -hmm. by the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, being a librarian is an act of bravery. So true. Thank you for that. Thank you. And thank you for the puppy picture with the no prones. Next up from uh, Anonymous. Pronouns given, though, she and her. This weekend, my favorite person on the planet asked me to marry them. Aww. I was overwhelmed with love and was touched by the thoughtful way she set up the proposal uh, with meaningful additions to reflect our relationship together so far. We spent close to six years together going through some of the highest and lowest points in our lives side by side. She makes me a better person. And she makes this world a better place. I feel incredibly lucky to be her partner for life. We were showered by love and support from many of the people in our lives, despite having a family that's tepid in their support at best. I'm incredibly grateful for my chosen family in this moment and my partner's family, who has surprised us both in their embrace for our love for one another and how they've welcomed me into their family. They have modeled what it is to love unconditionally, even when it's not easy for them. And it has made this step for us even sweeter. Look, Look how sweet, you guys. Congratulations. Oh, congrats. I want some champagne oh. now. I'm going to have some tonight because of the, you know, Trump business oh, yeah. being dissolved. But also for this beautiful couple. You guys are adorbs. All right. This is from Michelle. 
pronouns she and her. Hello, AG and DG. About a year ago, I acquired a newfie named Finn from a friend of a friend who was moving and couldn't take him along. The young adult children didn't get a chance to say goodbye. They contacted me and asked if they could come see him. They stopped by the other night, and here are the happy faces all around. I was glad to let them reconnect. Wisconsin has turned into a ridiculous hellscape, so I'm glad I could contribute a little happiness along the way. The other two dogs, Penny and Bailey, were sure that everyone was there to see them and hopped in the picture. Thanks for all you do. The news is always better with swearing. Fuck yeah, it is. Oh. <laughs> Look at the new fee and these other babies. This picture too. is fantastic. That's a lot of happiness right there. It sure is. Dog is so great too, huh? <laughs> oh, so cute. I love new fees. You know, I grew up with Piers, Great Pyrenees. So I just absolutely love these big babies. Hey, AG, this so one's short and the last one's long. So how about I take this and then you close this out for the day? All right. Sounds good. All right. This is from Gail. No pronouns on this. We paid off our house. Only took 28 years. It's old and creaky, but now it's all ours. Pod pet taxes are two cats, Cooper, which is the tall one, and Mimi, the little one. Watching a cat channel on YouTube, apparently there's a squirrel. Thanks for all your hard work. It's much appreciated. <laughs> this I is love hysterical. The cat channel. It's so cute. It is so the good. Bebes. Thank you for that submission, Gail. Mm, finally, from Dr. M, pronouns she and her. Hi, AG and DG. I'm a new patron, and I couldn't be happier to support your awesome work. Thank you. My good news is that I got to drop my son off at school. Normally, my mom does that, so today was a treat. It was made especially poignant because he didn't need me to walk into the door of the school. He insists he's a big boy and can do so many things on his own now. Last year, I did drop him to kindergarten, and I walked him to the door because he was too nervous to go alone. I wanted him to decide when he was ready to make the long trek from the car drop-off line to the school door. It's about 200 feet. And I never got to see him make that first solo walk last year, when he was finally ready to do it. My mom had taken over driving him to school by then, and was there when it happened. So when I got to see him do it today, so confidently, I was such a proud and happy mommy. My son is the sweetest, most introspective and thoughtful child. I can't believe how blessed I am to be his mother. I'm a geriatric mom because I'm in my 40s, and life is hard when one is getting older and raising a child so young and full of energy. So getting to experience the wonder of him growing up is so precious to me, especially when there's not a lot to feel good about in the world these days. More and more, I feel like time is passing at increasingly rapid pace. I'm acutely aware that these little moments with my son are so precious, more precious than anything else in my life. I hold on to them in my heart as my most precious treasures. Thank you for sharing uh, in this treasure of a moment with me. I've discovered your podcast only recently, and it gives me hope about the goodness of humanity when I listen to your good news. Oh, I learned so much from your pod, too, all about the garbage in the world. But I have a laugh along the way most of the time. Or if I'm not laughing because the day's news is too awful, at least I don't feel like the only blue dot left in the world when I'm listening to your hot notes and witty takeaways. Importantly, you two wise women encourage me to take care of myself and others. And to keep fighting the good fight, not just for my son, but for the world, I am striving in my own small way to make better for him and everyone else we share it with. Life is hard, but I want him to know that we should help each other through it. You helped me through it. So thank you so much. Oh, a beautiful submission. I'm so tired. I was a little taken aback that people in their 40s are considered geriatric mothers <laughs> because then that's what I would be considered if I had a child. But um this is beautiful. I'm so glad you got to, to send, send him off to school. 
and see him walk. My heart would explode. This is so good. And what a great, what a beautiful sentiment at the end that you're, you know, making the world better isn't just for yourself and it isn't even just for your kids. It's for everybody. It's for everybody that we share it with. It is. It is indeed. So thank you so much for that. And thanks everybody for your submissions. And if you want to send anything into us, first day of school, drop off stories, Whoopi stories, blankie stories, anything, you know, I'm not going to go through the whole list again. You know what it is. You know what you can send, which is basically anything. You can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here today, Dana? Well, it's more of a final wish. I want to wish my Presty a very happy birthday, Elizabeth. She's one of our Beans listeners and she's had a hell of a year. And so I hope this is one of many roses of your day and there's little thorns as possible. So happy birthday, Elizabeth. And I hope you have a wonderful day ahead. Happy birthday, everybody. Thank you so much. We'll be back in your ears tomorrow. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Donald Trump's businesses have to close. Vote blue over Q. And take everyone and your mother with you. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis' first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. 
you will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.